Hello, 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 and welcome to Premier League Game Week 1 of the Plastics Podcast, a show about the English game in the English League, but with a bit of American spice, where three United States wankers try to figure out if halftime hot dogs or meat pies are worse for your heart health. To my left is Maddie Gaylor, Wesley Fafana's agent. Hello, hello. And across from me is Blair Lacrosse, the owner of a shattered Saka coffee mug. <laughs> I thought it was such a bad omen. <laughs> and I'm Jacob Burke, offering a billion dollars for Alexander Mitrovich. Chaos, intrigue, drama. The almighty Premier League begins again, and you know your favorite podcast sat down and watched every game we could, even the Everton-Chelsea one. Though we're not talking about it. We discussed some recent transfers, Crystal Palace Arsenal, Fulham Liverpool, Major Leeds Soccer, and of course, the mania in Manchester. Season's greetings, and stay tuned for our top five FPL players in the Plastics League right now. Hey guys. Hey. What'd you think of that new intro? Little season two action? Season two... It's spicy for sure. Yeah, some good, good some good seasoning. I think I like it more, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a little too hot for us. I think I think it's the perfect amount of hot <laughs> coming raging in, and then we kind of like taper off, and then the intro, bam, Boom. let's go. You ended the intro exactly when the music was ending. It was it was perfect timing. Dude. Okay, I'll try and keep that timing going into the later weeks. But yes, match week one concluded. Guys, do you know what uh, what this episode is? It's match week one, obviously. Also, it is our one-year anniversary. We have been podcasting for one year because last year we did match week one, messy, 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 about Messi's transfer. You're telling me Messi's been at PSG for one year now? It's felt <sighs> like five. Felt yeah. Like so long. And, and now he's just popping off. So congratulations, Messi. It's also your one year. Um, you're welcome. One year, babe. It takes some time to get used to the change in league and, you know, transition of tactics, new coaches, new teammates. So, um, you know, every player goes through these building uh, phases for sure in their career. And yeah, Lionel Messi, I mean, he's a great player. You know, he'll learn over time. He'll warm up. <laughs> I, can, I can see some potential there. Yeah, there's <laughs> on the horizon is green shoots for sure. Was it the, the bicycle kick that really sold it for you? Did you see the um, Ronaldo family tweeting about like how it wasn't a real bicycle kick? And then some, somebody in the family, I don't know who it was. I, I saw some people on Twitter talking about this. Somebody in Cristiano Ronaldo's family did like a side-by-side tweet where it's a picture of Ronaldo scoring a bike kick goal for uh, Madrid and, and one, the one Messi scored this weekend, and it's like, you know, which one was a real bike kick? It's like, the real one? I want one? a real bicycle kick. Yeah. I want someone to come in with like a BMX bike <laughs> off a yeah. ramp and like hit it with the wheel and the goal. That's yes. what I want. <laughs> if the X Games out here, let's go. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, folks, it's a busy week. Uh, Maddie, you're going to dictate run a play here. I don't know how much time I want to devote to, to cool how is your week talk because, my goodness, there's been a lot of games. 
We did a photo shoot. It was fun. We did a photo shoot for the podcast. That's right. It was fun. That's right. It was a good time. We looked really good. I've been surprisingly. Told <laughs> <laughs> we look great. We looked great in the perfect lighting. Honestly, that's true. Yeah. I love with that a light. very expensive yeah. camera yeah. setup. Yeah, yeah. with yeah. it only takes a hundred thousand dollars worth of camera rigs, <laughs> and you're golden. <laughs> it was oh retouching from professional retouching. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, other than that, my week was fine. We can jump into the transfers. There's a lot of them Dang, that happened. There is a lot of them. Uh, I'm going to just run through them really quickly, and you're going to give me a one sentence reaction. That's it. Excellent. All right. Okay. I'm going to start off small and go big. Ricky Puch to LA Galaxy. Free transfer three years. Cool. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> LA <Fair>. Galaxy? <laughs> uh, Christian Benteke to DC United. Undisclosed amount. Up to three years on a designated player deal. I love it. This was announced like during the Arsenal Crystal Palace game because Jacob is sitting there going, oh, Benteke is not here. Yeah. DC United, they love a they love a or a Premier League striker, I guess. <laughs> you can link true. up with uh, Wayne Rooney. Get Wayne, what like the player manager deal? <laughs> no, Wayne Rooney's body is beyond thirty five. No, Wayne Rooney's back there now, isn't he? Yeah, he's he has a manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's gonna he'll I'm get saying, the, Rooney's I'm saying get the most Rooney's out of him, body maybe. medically is a sixty year old man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean. He kind of looks, he looks older than he is. Uh, but that was more than one sentence. We're moving on. Renato Sanchez to PSG for $16.5 million, five-year deal. Renato Sanchez has a terrible injury history, and if they need to use him no more than 10 games a season, this will be a great deal. Agreed. Isco to Sevilla on a free, two years. Sounds like Isco wants to try to find a way into the Spanish national team for the World Cup, and this is his way of doing it. Decent business for Sevilla, I suppose. I'm going to go to Maddie for this one on the first, because this is the big ticket item. Mark Kukurea to Chelsea. Six-year deal, $71.83 million. Bully splashing. Bully was mad about being overbid by Barcelona a couple times, so he said, fuck you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop all this money. And then make it dramatic by announcing it, but not announcing it, and then announcing it, but it's not real. Uh, and then giving them one of our defenders. So I guess it's a good deal. Kukure played. Yeah, interesting one. Chilwell, question mark? I guess, you know, we're in the age of five subs. Maybe there's some sort of uh, tactical adjustment that you can be made in-game between the two players. Maybe Kukure can be used as a left center back. Not sure, uh, but... Yeah, it certainly is a lot of money. Great sale. Great. This is great business for Brighton. Great business for Brighton. Yeah. It's a lot of money. They're so good at this. Chukwameka to Chelsea. 18-year-old, $19.8 million. Six-year deal. Yeah, I liked it a lot from what I saw in limited moments last year from him. It sounds like he wanted a lot of money and seems like Chelsea is the place these days to, uh, to get that. Kind of a match made in heaven, I suppose. Last one. This was recent, fresh, hot. Nito to Bournemouth on a free from Barcelona on a one-year deal. Cool. <laughs> I, I honestly don't like have strong feelings about him. It seems like he's been trying to get a Barcelona forever, and he did it. Congratulations to you, Neto. Well, I think that's a great goalkeeper signing, honestly. For, really? For Bournemouth? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great signing. They just smashed Villa. I mean, do they need anything else? Um, 
I mean, anyway, we're moving on. That was a quick reactions. Um, I'm gonna totally skip Aspilaqueta signing an extension. Let's toss it over to Maddie for the the breakdown. Uh, for our our number six, Maddie Gaylor, creating the tempo of the game and choosing when to start play. Do I get a whistle? You get run of the script we have here. Oh boy. All right, folks. Jumping into the game week one. Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. A Friday night game for us folks in the States. Zero to two. Arsenal pull it out. The first game of the season. Palace host Arsenal. Arsenal having spent most of any, the most of any team in the Premier League this window come guns blazing. Crystal Palace hope to improve their season off the back of several key purchases and taking advantage of being a notable boogeyman for the Gunners. We are excited for the new season. It all started here. Jacob, Blair, what happened? What what went on? Blair, you were at a bar? Yeah, I was at Patty's. It was a fun environment for sure. It's good to be around the fans again. They rang a nice bell to start out. Everyone cheered. It was a good time, good atmosphere. It got kind of tense, though, for sure, especially in the second half. But we got the three points, so pretty happy with that. I didn't want to go with you again this year and uh, jinx the entire situation again. Yeah. So I opted to watch from the couch where it was less stressful. Yeah, yeah. On the morning of the game, I did smash my Bukayo Saka coffee mug, um, and I thought, oh, boy, after what happened last year, this is just not a good, not a good way to start things out. But, hey, uh, sometimes the things that look like bad omens turn out to be uh, nothing. So Really tempting fate with that statement. Yeah, I mean, you know, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I watched the game from my couch in my apartment. The atmosphere in my apartment was quite uh, dull. Thanks. In comparison to Patty's. Jeez. Uh, it was it was it was it was quite it was quite uh, much more tepid, and uh, honestly, with no horse in the race, and mildly interested in how the new the new uh, signing. I don't know if you've heard about Gabriel Jesus, but this guy was pretty. Uh, w- w- he thankfully he didn't have a microscope under him or anything. This <laughs> yeah. game, but he, nobody was expecting him to do anything. Uh, I wasn't expecting a lot out of him. I'll be totally honest. And he blew me out of the water with uh, with his fancy play, fancy footwork. I think the big storyline going into the game was that Zinchenko and Jesus, and and for the record, William Saliba also, uh, all three started um, two new signings and, and one guy returning from loan. So that was, we. this was the formation that we rolled out in our last preseason friendly against Chelsea. And I think basically everyone expected it to be what we saw on Friday because of the injuries that still linger for Takahiro Tomiyasu, who I think is now playing some like recovery games with the U23, U21 side. And Kieran Tierney, who was out for long stretches of the preseason, but actually was subbed on late in the match on Friday. And I think the that back four was quite expected Jacob, you seem surprised that Ben White started at right back, but I think from an Arsenal perspective, that was exactly what everyone was thinking we would see. But yeah, Gabriel Jesus didn't have the end product on the night, you know, only the one shot, but the dribbling was just impressive. He was six for six on dribbles and made some guys look pretty silly out there. I think the ball is just like stuck to his feet at the moment. Um, And yeah, he can like really make his way through tight spaces. It's 
really crazy to watch considering what we've had at striker over the last three or four seasons so yeah um like that out of him for sure it was a this is a tough match for us always we always do very poorly at sellers park we got smashed there last year late in the season three nil loss and that i think really derailed our top four hopes i think we sustained some injuries as well so we took the bad loss we took a few injuries and you know, had to try to make something out of that for the rest of the season. I think it was nice to see this result for sure, but Crystal Palace had their chances. This was a very even match for sure. I think there was uh, a few moments from Ramsdale that really kept the clean sheet for us. A shot from Eze in the box off of a nice through ball from Zaha. Eze just kind of hovering on the shoulders of our center backs. And Ramsdale came off his line and made a nice save. And then Edward had a nice header from close that Ramsdale saved. I think that one was a little bit less dangerous than Eze's chance, but Eze really should have buried that. All in all, I thought he was very impressive, to be fair. But I think after the game, Patrick Vieira was quite frustrated with his team because they did create good chances on the night and they just couldn't find the net. I think I largely agree with that. I think what struck me the most was that while. And I, I don't think this is a bad thing necessarily because I think trying to change deep habits in the team is incredibly difficult. But Arsenal made Zinchenko, uh, Gabriel Jesus, like the notable signings, yeah, among others, right? But yeah. uh, and then they brought in you know the Saliba from loan, and might I add, Saliba looked incredible. I think everyone's going to be talking about Gabriel Jesus, and quite rightly. But I think in terms of what Saliba brought to that team was probably the most important. Yeah, he was, I mean, he won man the match. I think that was well-deserved. But I think the habits of Arsenal as a team have not changed. <laughs> and you, we, we totally saw that uh, throughout the match. And so there were instances where Arsenal would simply sit back and kind of let Crystal Palace grow back into the game, yep. especially after they scored the first goal. And then, you know, things would trend towards Crystal Palace and Arsenal were okay to let it happen. Yeah. And I thought, this is just like last season. And I think that Mikel Arteta is going to find that the battle lies in changing that. Because as soon as you change that, I think Arsenal immediately becomes like a totally new team. Yeah, I mean, the first like... 20 minutes that period was super intense and oh, i was yeah. like holy shit this is yeah completely different arsenal for sure and also kind of what i was hoping to see like high intensity pressure you know regaining the ball high up the field creating a lot of chances out of that and then yeah after that first goal we did start to sit back and you know when you're pressing like this i think there are moments where you kind of have to pick and choose when to expend your energy and when to kind of just try to control the game and that part of it, I think we're definitely going to have to learn because we haven't played like we did in that opening 20 minutes really much at all under Arteta. So I think part of it's going to be a learning curve is like sort of as a team when we're deciding to up our intensity and when we're deciding to try to just control possession. I think the key here, though, for us and why we kept sinking further and further back was that our midfield really was like largely like contained by Crystal Palace's midfield, their size um, up front. I thought Decore honestly dictated a lot of what was happening in the midfield. I thought he looked quite good outside of a couple of moments. And Martin Odegaard was largely non-existent. And I think that sort of collapsed our right side and it sort of forces us to keep working back and closer to our goal to get a little more compact and into shape. And that allowed, you know, Zaha to get forward and, and as a 
and for them to, you know, get some more chances there. That's frustrating for sure for Arteta. And like, he definitely doesn't want us to do that. And it just shows like, I don't know, like th th this team still has like a lot to learn if they want to like kind of play elite, you know, soccer like that. Saka, Jesus, Odegaard, Martinelli, that is a good group to press with. And, you know, they should have that confidence, but like Odegaard can't continue to like fade in games like this. And he really was marked out of this game. I, I just think that we need to be able to be more assertive and be able to kind of, you know, don't don't shy away from the possession. Don't, you know, shy away from a pass, move into space, you know, be available for a player and, you know, keep that keep that intensity up as much as you can. But Crystal Palace for, for their, um, in their own right, they do a great job of just disrupting that though. I mean, I think that was what we saw last season. And I think getting a two nil win out of that, this season is, is good because they seem to have the formula right now for really disrupting us. And it really comes down to their size. They're pretty big everywhere and they have a lot of, they have a lot of physicality. Um, so, you know, that um, definitely disrupts us. Our guys still can't really seem to cope with that quite as well. But you know who did cope with Crystal Palace's attack? Who's that? Ben White. Yeah. A surprising player to come out of this game looking so strong. Yeah. Uh, I know Jacob was a little bit shocked. <laughs> I probably have an unpopular opinion regarding Ben White this game, but it has nothing to do with Ben White, actually. So. Oh, it's, it's, it's to do with Zaha being called out by the refs. Yeah, I thought Zaha was unfairly targeted by the refs mm. that game. Okay. Uh, I think Zaha was trying to make these runs against Ben White, obviously. Yeah. Zaha can beat Ben White. For sure. sure, in a foot race. Yeah. And he wanted to exploit that. And so what Ben White would do is he would get in front of Zaha whenever he could. And Zaha would try and get around him. And yep. every time, uh, the refs would call on Zaha. Uh, and uh, they, he couldn't get past him because you, if Ben White grabs onto you, yeah, you have to shove him out of the way to get past him. Yeah. And then it's a foul. <laughs> and so I think Ben White was exploiting this, and it worked. So credit to him, but in terms of and that, that, this is where this, the hot take comes in. In terms of whether that was a correct call, I don't think any of those were correct. Most of those were not correct calls, and Zaha probably should have been able to move in down the left-hand side more than is, he was able to. Is that just good strategy defending? Um, it depends on how you look at what defending is, right? So, I mean, like this is breaking down like way into philosophical terms. But, he was stopping uh, Zaha from progressing the ball forward yeah. by means of... Getting by, fouled. By means of exploiting what defending actually is. Yeah, and Zaha was going to exploit his speed, so Ben White exploited the one defensive tactic that he could. Which is just, yeah, get in the way, I guess. But yeah. in terms of like defense and defensive actions, those aren't necessarily what defensive actions are. I think that Ben White, if you can put anyone in place of Ben White, and they can do that, right? And so I think... It, I disagree. I think... I think throwing Cedric in there, he would have been slaughtered immediately, like multiple times. I think that yeah, the, I this think was a, a much like we retained defensive solidity much better on this right side if we had than if we had Cedric there. Yeah, but Cedric's a fullback. Yeah, right. I mean, ben so White's would, would a he center have, back. Would, would, exactly. So would he have yeah. played further up then, or would do you think Jaka? I mean, Jaka. Do you think um, Cedric uh, Arteta would have played Cedric further back? There. I, I mean, it's tough to say because I mean Ben White was getting pretty far forward on occasion, so I mean he he still does the overlap from time to time. I, yeah, but not I mean like as much as any other center back might on the right side. I'm, I'm what I'm what what my, what my argument here is that Ben White was trying to 
exploit the ref not on a game level but on like an emotional level like this zaha <laughs> he's hounding me he's bullying me and mm. you need to call that and zaha uh, realize this, yeah. but he couldn't get anywhere because he was trying to get around Ben White, and it's tough to say, yeah, but I want the ball, <laughs> and you're not letting me get the ball. So I think, and it's more of a problem as to how soccer breaks down into a game of preventing the other team from getting the ball and trying to get the ball, and that has to come out in the rules of the game. But what I think here is that you need to allow this physicality to go on, and if Zaha needs to shove Ben White off to get the ball, I say let that happen. The thing with Zaha is like, he he. I think he does have a bit of a reputation with the refs, and so that sort of precedes him a bit. He he was moping in the first half for sure. Yeah, and because he because he couldn't get on the ball because because of that exact reason. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and I think like, yeah, I think it, I think it's just kind of savvy for Ben White to take advantage of that because like if you can get in his head that is going to help you probably. You oh, know? for sure. So like, yeah, I mean, maybe it's like kind of cynical. Ben White does some cynical stuff. I've seen him trip strikers when refs aren't looking because they're about to make a run behind him. And like, he just like is kind of like that sometimes. Yeah. So, and the thing is like, when you look at what Crystal Palace's game plan with uh, in his match was, it was largely Anderson long diagonal balls to Zaha and, and to IU. Um, and he was so good at it. He was, I think he was the best defender in the game, personally. Um, his distribution was really excellent. And, you know, he found Zaha on a number of those forward balls. And that really stretches the field and it pins Ben White back. So um, I think that was a pretty effective tactic. And, you know, yeah, he had 12, he was accurate on 12 of 21 long balls. I think, yeah, he just looked really good. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think as far as, like, Ben White, he really was kind of operating as more of a right center back in this case, but he sort of had to be just because that was what they were targeting and trying to exploit was that space behind him. Any last thoughts on Arsenal Crystal Palace? No, fun, fun match. Lots to learn still. I think these boys have got a lot to work on. Good thing there's 37 more games. <laughs> yeah, some would say. I'm still bullish on Crystal Palace. Yeah, they look great. They look great. I, I think Patrick Vieira is a very interesting manager, and I like the squad profile that he's building, for sure. Next game we watched was Fulham 2. Liverpool 2. Newly promoted Fulham looked to do something different in the league against a tough opponent. Liverpool saddle up for another year as they look to climb the mountain. <laughs> Jacob, how are you yeah so i write these previews before the game actually happens because i think that's important to take into account what the media is saying right and uh in this case the media did not give the full credit to uh, fulham going in i think everyone thought liverpool was going to just come in and kick uh fulham in the gut do you think liverpool thought that yes yes i did uh and i say what i mean everyone you know like i did as well i was thinking about doing the old curveball triple captain sala for the first game week and being really cool and thank god i didn't i almost did i i accidentally had it turned on and then i was like oh boy (laughs) uh I'm, i'm doing okay honestly uh i think it's important to not overreact to these things and it's important to keep a measured cool pace going into a 38 game season for a team but that being said, if you want to win a league, you can't lose to the promoted teams ever, ever. And uh, in this case, uh, I think a tie for what Liverpool want to achieve is effectively a loss. I, I mean, I, there's not much else to say. Uh, Liverpool were not up for it. 
do you think they play with a lack of respect coming into the game and were caught off guard? Or do you think they were playing with the right amount of respect, but not the right energy level? Liverpool didn't go in. They went in assuming they'd win, right? And yeah. you could see it. Uh, the pace was a bit lackadaisical. I don't know how many times I saw a long ball pinged upfield and been like, yeah, this we've tried this a million times today and it won't work again. Uh, we just were trying these searching balls upfield and every time, uh, you know, to whether it's Diaz um, or Salah um, and like Firmino trying to link up there, it just didn't work. And I, I just don't know what the decision-making process was because it's not like it just kept happening. And I think credit to the back line. Uh, I got to shout out my guy, Tim Ream though, at the end of the day, uh, th- uh, 46 uh, game start Tim Ream last season. Uh, putting in the work, the Iron Man. <laughs> uh, he did. He did well there, and uh, and I think it's important to talk about Fulham as well because they did a fantastic job of just suffocating Liverpool and just not not letting any of the midfield breathe. Yeah. Uh, in this case, Thiago, Fabinho, and Henderson. Uh, Thiago normally when he's given the time and space is incredible, but you know, he wasn't. And so I think he was largely neutralized. Uh, Henderson did what he could upfield, but um, I, I just think this overall was uh, Fulham, you know, having been relegated two times already, you know, first season and they, I enough is enough, right? Maybe it's just as simple as an attitude change and a coaching shift to Marco Silva because uh, Scott Parker, uh, Fulham's previous manager, didn't start Alexander Mitrovic when he got into the Premier League, and look where this boy is now. Holy cow! Are you kidding me, Mitrovic? I mean, he uh, he was able to elicit a penalty from Virgil Van Dyke in the box after doing a freaking Cruyff turn midfield. <laughs> that you don't see that in the Championship, you know? It's called a Cruyff turn for a reason. It was just incredible, an incredible performance. You got to give your hats off, you know. I think a lot of keen Fulham watchers have noted that Mitrovic is looking spry and in better shape than the last time he was in the Premier League. So maybe he senses that he's got an opportunity here. I think the last time he was up in the Prem, he scored three goals in the entire season. And now he's got two. And he's got two in his first game. I think the word you're looking for, and the commentators have said repeatedly, is sumptuous. Oh. (laughs) Blair, you took the word spry right out of my mouth. I was going to call the entire Fulham press spry Mm. they literally they were not there was never a moment where they were sitting back on their heels it was constant pressure and liverpool looked like a team that just got done with a really hard season and were struggling to find that rhythm of finding good passing between players and were were going for the long balls to try and buy time and fulham weren't having it and Mitrovic, uh, we can we can start with his goal in the thirty second minute. Against all odds, Liverpool made a string of errors. Fulham get a run going down the right hand side, and a cross is laid out to Mitrovic for his first goal in the Premier League and the first goal of the game this year. So, do we have do we have to address what everyone is talking about with this goal here and can, now? Can yeah? What can you do? You want me to explain it? I guess lay it out. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, Mitrovic I'm, scored this header at the back post by yeah. jumping over Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, is that are people mad about that? Everyone's talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold again. Oh, 
<laughs> I mean, right. yeah, I think a bit more awareness is necessary, uh, you know, when you're trying to defend a corner, right, or a cross. But I don't know. I, I don't know why people are ragging. I, I, it's, it's a repeated time. Alexander Arnold's value as a player is very clear and very obvious. I am never going to criticize a goalkeeper's ability to take a penalty if that comes down to it. And why would I? You don't sign a goalkeeper for their penalty-taking skills. And you don't use a goalkeeper for their ability to make searching long balls as they run at full sprint up the final third. So yeah, Alexander Arnold isn't Sergio Ramos. <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> I guess. I guess this is news to some people. His talent doesn't lie in uh, all-out defense. That's why we signed Virgil van Dijk. That's why we have uh, Ibrahim Kanade, Joel Matip, you know, all of our center backs, whatever. But, um, you know, the in, in that's the trade-off we get. When you have a guy like Alexander Arnold, there are going to come moments where there is a defensive error made, and that's the trade-off, and it works most of the time. Is I mean, is that... Can we all agree on that? Yeah, I just think, like, the... The conversation, every time this happens, which is like a few times a season, maybe, at most. Yeah. Every time this happens, though, it's like Trent can't defend, you know, uh, just trying to sort of, I guess, assassinate his character (laughs) as a fullback. Yeah, as a fullback. And I just think it's like, you know, I mean, scoring points, dunking, whatever, like that's that's part of the bants, I guess. But like, you can't be seriously contending that like Trent isn't, uh, you know, Competent. good at what he's asked to do because he's incredibly, incredibly good. At yeah, it. I, I <laughs> this this isn't four four two. You know, we're not doing that. Yeah, and it, just imagine that Trent could do all the attacking things that he does, and also contend with a Alexander Mitrovic header. He's a six foot one guy. He was running at a full head of steam. Um, you know, he was able to sprint into the header. Um, Trent was trying to, you know out jump him from a standstill if he had that in his locker he would be a unicorn there's no other player that like that that would ever exist no. like that I mean, would be an insane kind of uh you know sort of he already kind player. of is a unicorn so yeah exactly to, to even say like hey you need to work on your defensive attributes because you're not good enough is to be totally dishonest with yourself as to what his purpose is yeah to me it's just like totally ludicrous like yeah. what do you, what more what do you expect from the guy you know it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me, and I, I think it's just a, a dumb conversation that we seem to keep having over and over again. I, I don't want to talk about Liverpool too much because I think I think Fulham deserve like the bulk of the attention here. Uh, they did fantastic, and I think to 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 take away a wonderful performance, like you know, you got to give it. The Alexander Mitrovic has gone through kind of a bit of a struggle, right? You go up. You fail, you come back down, you fight back up, you do it again, and you come back down, and then you're finally here. So if Fulham can pull out a survival story this season, I think that deserves some actual narrative conversation. Not, oh, Alexander Arnold isn't a good fullback. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, what, what did you make of then Fulham's pressing, especially like in the midfield? It seemed like they really disrupted the flow of things for Liverpool. Yeah, it was really pissing me off. Who uh, this guy Harrison Reed? Uh, I think would did did wonderful work. Uh, also, the the a lot of the uh, media attention was around Andres Pereira. He was yeah, he was he impressive. Did, did, he did very very well. I mean, he's I guess now in a better place than the entire Manchester United squad. So, uh, you know, that's something to be proud of. 
Uh, Bobby Reed, we know of from uh, our little Jamaican bout uh, as USA fans. Um, I think he was okay, but he, you know, he's yeah. he's 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 a Fulham veteran at this point. He's twenty nine, so it's not like he's new. Uh, this guy, this new guy here, uh, Niskins Cabano. He's thirty. I don't think I know too much about him, uh, but he just came back from loan from Middlesbrough. So I think he's going to have a hell of a time trying to help Fulham survive in the Premier League. He did okay. Uh, he had a couple of moments that uh, I, I kind of liked. Um, he created a chance, and he had a shot. So His shot hit the post, too. Yeah. That one came close. It was like in the inside of the post, and it bounced out. Um, and obviously, I think we have to talk about uh, Anthony Robinson, right? Man, I was waiting okay, for yeah, that I was, one. I was wondering, Holy man. shit. Yeah, sorry. I wanted to get through the performers <laughs> here. I don't want to skip anyone because I think this is all quite important. And I kept expecting his name. Yeah, like, I know. A little but, known player from America. <laughs> I just, but I, because I know we're going to stop and talk about him because obviously he's our guy, but I wanted to get uh, all the plot out of the way first. So are we missing anyone here? Um, no, like, I, I just want to say, I guess, about the, about the, the midfield yeah. pressing. Watching them, they were just swarming people on the ball. That this is not a pace they can keep up all season, yeah, for sure. But it, was it was impressive frenetic. to watch. Yeah, there were at times three Fulham defenders for on a, on one Liverpool attacker. If they had the ball, especially near the byline at midfield, that seemed to trigger the press. They just went for it. Um, it, it was wild, man. It was like they were just running around like maniacs. And what, that's something I didn't really expect. I don't know that I saw that as. Uh, you know, a facet of their game in the championship last year. So maybe it is. Maybe that's how they were able to create so many attacking chances last year and so many goals. Um, well, I mean, cards on the table, right? We yeah. don't watch the championship. No, so for sure. I think when these play, when these teams come up, it's a large unknown quantity to us. Yeah. Like, we have to do our homework on them. And obviously, doing your homework after the fact isn't the same thing as watching a team evolve for, throughout the season. Yep. So this is definitely a surprise to us. And I think that we... All three of us expect Fulham to stay up, but to come and get grab a point off Liverpool, even though Liverpool weren't performing to their capacity, yeah. is still an incredibly impressive opening out the gate. I think this is a much more impressive result, and so sorry, Blair, than a 2-0 to Arsenal like Brentford was last year, opening day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, agree with that. I mean, Arsenal, uh, like, if I can defend myself. Yeah, no, yeah, That team was course. very rotated I, and <laughs> sick with COVID and whatnot. But, yeah, I agree. Um, I think this I think this will give the guys there a huge boost. And, it, it, obviously, I assume that locker room right after the game was just in, like, great vibes all around, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, Anthony Robinson. <laughs> Jedi Robinson, right? I know uh, you got into a bit of a... Uh, Twitter discussion with Mike <laughs> Cayley uh, over at the Double Fit Pod. Shout out. And Mike was pretty up on Anthony Robinson's defensive, I mean, out, offensive output. And we over here were like, well, he's more of a defensive output kind of guy. The kind of guy that you'd expect to defend a cross into the box from. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think there were a couple moments when Anthony Robinson's crosses were like, well... <laughs> if you could have made one of those, maybe that would be something. But I'm excited to see this. I'm excited yeah. for this because I think getting uh, a half a season of Anthony Robinson in the Premier League and then launching into the World Cup, it's going to be optimal. Yes. Yes. He, I mean, I, he handled himself. What, what was weird about Liverpool was that they seemed to be preferring to go down the left side with Diaz um, in the first half more. Um, that was my read on things. Maybe you disagree, but... Um, it was very symmetrical. 
Okay. Yeah. And like, you know, when, when it was coming down Robinson side, I don't know. I mean, just for me, I just didn't, I don't feel nervous when he's one-on-one with it, with an attacker. And I think part of it is that he, um, I think at times he can, but he doesn't usually look like rushed when he's defending and he never really tires, you know? And so he's got an engine. He does. And so he, he kind of, he just looks solid as a defender. He kind of is in his defensive stance um, for the whole game. And you don't see him get his ankles turned or crossed. You don't see him turning his back to, to attackers because he's getting spun around. He just doesn't really do that. So I think he's just a, a pretty solid defensive player and, of course, a good ball progressor. So I, I definitely agree with Kaylee on that. And, yeah, I mean, of course, doing this against Salah and, and Alexander-Arnold on the right side, that's an impress, impressive feat for sure. Yeah, he's definitely, I'm going to say, I'm going to commit to it again. He's a defensive fullback, so he's yes. going to remain a bit more back. Uh, I know um, their guy, Kenny Titi, a uh, Dutch guy, he was much more forward um, on average, and that's, I think, going to be something that we can safely expect from him for Greg. So Greg Berthalter, USMNT, if anyone's not clear yet. And um, so I, I think I think this will be good. I'm excited. Bottom line, Fulham, good job. Liverpool, improvements need to be made. But, you know, the hope's still out there. I think we all made our table predictions, and it's out on Instagram and in the inter- internet sphere. I put Liverpool at first. Uh, I want to publicly acknowledge I know I've seen what the Vegas odds are. <laughs> that was my that was my spirit as a fan, and uh, I, I want Liverpool to be in first. But this has significantly put a damper, so I'm pleasantly just enjoying the season. Liverpool dropped points ten times last year. City dropped points nine times last year. So a little wiggle room, but not a lot. No, we, no, no, we don't have any wiggle room. Yeah. Sorry, I, I did that again. <laughs> um, but that, that's the only time I'm doing it this episode, Maddie. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, Captain Tim Ream kind of, you know, he, he looked pretty good. You know, uh, I think on one of the goals, he didn't quite get his head to a ball and ended up falling to, I think it was the second goal that fall, fell to Nunez, who tapped it to Salah, and Salah scored. But other than that, I thought Tim Ream looked pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that, that just was a good performance for him. Shout Paulinho, too, I also thought was pretty impressive on the night. That looks like a good signing. So it's a good... A good opening match for for Fulham for sure. I mean, this is a, a springboard for them, and you know, the, any point you can get for a promoted side if they're trying to stay up, that is massive. So, all right, moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about Leeds and Wolves. We've we've got Leeds with two against a team of Wolves with one team of Wolves band name. Call it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like Jesse, horses. <laughs> Jesse Marsh looks to rebuild a lead side that lost two of its most prominent players in the summer transfer window, building around an exciting young core of players. Some injuries prevented Leeds from rolling out all their new signings, but debuts from Mark Roca, Tyler Adams, and especially exciting Brendan Aronson sees Leeds take home all three points. What a game. This one had me on the edge of my seat. I really liked this game. Well, this one was perfect for us as neutrals because, yeah. well, I mean, not, not neutrals, neutrals per se. Very biased. But uh, in terms of not supporting Leeds or Wolves directly and only through the avenue of United States team supporters, this was a very exciting game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have any horses in the race for Chelsea Everton, and that game was abysmal. 
Jeez. <laughs> just dragging the Chelsea Everton game, slitting its throw, and then throwing it aside. Did any of you have fun watching that game? Uh, no, I was struggling to stay I was, awake. Yeah, really wanting to sleep that game. It was boring. <laughs> All right. What players did you think really stood out for Leeds or Wolves? Um, aside, do we want to get the obvious out of the way? And then move on to the like the like the American bias out of the way, or just go um, go for it, Maddie. Because obviously we're going to say Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson as like the standout players, but <laughs> but, but not... is that is that wrong though? Because Ant- or, uh, I mean, it's not entirely true, right? Brendan Aronson was a little gassed at the end, I think, but he was also just everywhere and and making these beautiful runs and these beautiful passes i don't know if it's biased to say that he played really well and and tyler adams did good i don't think he was like at the level of exciting as brendan aronson but i definitely think both of them contributed to the team in a huge huge way yeah i i just think that you know we have to talk about mark roca Right, because mm-hmm. that was his first game, uh, and then also Jack Harrison uh, did a superb job, and Rodrigo is not to be for like I think all these guys did like I think Leeds as a whole performed really well, and Brendan Aronson certainly isn't like the man of the match here. He no. made a lot of threatening runs, and he got into open space a lot, which Wolves seemed to figure out at some point. They figured Brendan Aronson out at some point down the line, and. Uh, that's totally fine because Brennan Aronson's thing is I run a lot and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to really try these things. And I think that's kind of like a wild card thing. You can't always predict. Um, I, I think overall, while Brennan Aronson was the flash in the pan, this game, I was really proud of Tyler Adams performance. Okay. And I think that he was quietly sweeping things up. He played, I believe a little, farther afield than uh than mark roca did i just want to check the stats here yeah mark roca was further i'm sorry brendan uh, tyler adams played a little bit further back mark roca was pushed up so brendan i mean geez would tyler adams was the true defensive midfielder of the two and you didn't see much from him and when i say that i say that as a good thing because tyler adams was quietly just sweeping things up positioning himself to cut off passing routes and overall being the body in between the two center backs for leads. And that's great. I noticed you didn't say one name in particular. Where was Bamford? Petty Bamf? Patty Bamf. He was out there. Um, I think he did okay. I mean, he had a really tough season last year. You know, he's he's coming back. I think the big thing for Patrick Bamford is can I get into a routine again? And that's that will be a success if he can. I, I think that he did he didn't do excellent, but that's not what you're aiming for as Patrick Bamford for me. Yeah, I mean, I think Bamford was like a couple inches away from a goal and an assist this game. I really liked what yeah. he did. Um, his running was good. I mean, he looks he looks strong. You know, I mean, I I don't know all these things like a guy coming back from injury. If you just see him play almost a full ninety, it just kind of feels good yeah. to see them come back. But also, he was the captain, which I think mm-hmm. really says something. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's kind of the the older head in the team, or one of them, I suppose. Um, it's a a fairly young side now all things considered. But yeah, I mean, Bamford was Bamford was good. He was vital in the uh, second goal, um, received the ball on the left side and crossed it 
I don't know how it made it all the way across Wolves' box. Um, that was one we originally thought was Aronson's goal, but turns out that Ait Nori had tapped it home for an own goal. So Bamford doesn't get the assist there. And then again, he had a header in the box that he probably hit too close to Saw. Saw was able to save it. I mean, he was basically unmarked standing at the six and had basically the entire net to hit. So, you know, it might be one a little more precise there, but... Are you talking about moments for him? Are you talking about the time that saw uh, just kind of decked a person and got away with it? No, no, that was okay. a different time. But saw did do that. Yeah, do we think that's a penalty? <sighs> I, don't know. I do, because keepers can get away with a lot. But he did not make contact with the ball. He did yeah. not look like he was going for the ball. He just kind of hit the player yeah. and then said. Well, you were in my way. It's always really tough because keepers are like quarterbacks. You know, a lot of the safety is designed around to protect the guys that are going to get are, get themselves into the most threatening positions, right? But there has to be a point when a keeper can be penalized for punching out a guy. Yes, I <laughs> do agree with those words you said. I, I, think it's a, next. I think it's a foul in the box, personally. It was a lot of contact, and he he didn't get the ball, and yeah. I just think that's probably probably worthy of a penalty. Uh, myself, especially like if you consider like what was given to, for Holland uh, in today's match against West Ham. I mean, um, you could say more conceivably that the keeper was actually trying to play the ball there and just was too slow to it. So I don't know. I thought I thought I was probably worthy of a penalty, but are there matter. some? Are there some signs of optimism for Wolves? They created less than uh, one XG in 22 games last year, last season. And in those games, they have six wins, four draws, and 12 losses. When greater than one, they had nine wins, two draws, and five losses. I mean, honestly, Huang looked really, really good this this match until he kind of got a knock. Yeah, it seemed like maybe a hamstring or something. I don't know. It didn't look super good for him, um, but it was late in the game. So. Blair has Wolves at 14. Um, Maddie, you have Wolves at 18. <laughs> I also have Wolves at 18. Are there signs from this game of optimism? Are there signs that they the transfers that went through are going to work out? Are there signs of life? Because I know in our first part two with when we talked about the wolves blair wasn't too optimistic <laughs> about their side yeah i mean i think last year that it the the numbers didn't really paint a very positive picture for them they didn't really create much going forward and their defensive record is probably um not sustainable over multiple seasons so i think it's questionable i think but, if connor cody leaves it's gone they're done okay they wouldn't sign anybody else um I, I don't. Collins I think they will, but Connor Cody is a very known quantity, and he brings a very, very, very firm side to uh, Wolves' defense. So, I don't know. I just I, I think that Wolves right now, the signings they've made versus the signings the teams around them have made, is not the same. Yeah, that's that's true for sure. I think the the thing that's ultimately, if they do if they, they do have a relegation season, that Fabio Silva signing is probably going to be the thing that does it. Um, they did today. I think reached an agreement for Gonzalo Guedes, who's a um, Portuguese forward um, coming from Valencia. So it looks like they're trying to get a little more attacking support 
I thought Neto and Huang looked pretty solid today, though. I mean, they created quite a few chances. Yeah, um, that's true. And Meslier made some really nice saves. So, I mean, they might feel disappointed that they didn't come away with a draw. I thought the first goal that Leeds scored was pretty soft, and Saw went to save it with his hand when he probably should have just kicked it with his foot. The window there for Rodrigo was very narrow, and Saw got part of his hand to it, but, I mean, not enough. So... That was probably disappointing for them. Um, I think they probably should have deserved a point here. So, I don't know. I mean, just seeing them have something that looks coherent. Neto looks like a great out um, outlet for them, and he's got pretty good end product. So, you know, I mean, maybe the attack is cohering a bit in Season 2 for Bruno Lodge, but, I mean, this is a tough first game for them, for sure. Not a good start. Speaking of tough games and not great starts, Man United versus Brighton. Man United won, Brighton two. A new season and a new manager. Manchester United host the goals with fresh hopes and fresh signings. Brighton look to continue their goal-scoring trends against United, but are hampered by a recent departure of their main players, Basuma and Kukurea. What a game. Were they hampered? No. Again, ag- I write these before. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. against Man U. <laughs> I, like, I agree with that. I mean, I would have expected that they would have lost something. We've I mean, Co- both slowed. of those players are very good. And Caicedo and Trossard, I think, both looked I mean, really it's, nice. It's hilarious. <laughs> so I'm going to just get the thing out of the way. I have a question that I wrote here. And right. I'm just going to immediately address it because I think it's really important because I, I want to get it out of the way so we can talk about other things because I think we want to close this, uh, this game out because it's going to be the same thing again. United have not done anything to sign a new defensive midfielder, though the fans clamor for it and the problems are evident enough on the field. McFred... McTominay and Fred, today, was deployed differently. McTominay in a more advanced role and Fred as a total sweeper. But they were frequently caught out of position and indirectly were the source cause of the second goal. Does Ten Hag need time with them or does he need to send new guys? I say this because I was looking on Twitter and all of the Manchester United fans were clamoring a similar message concerning Caicedo. If we had Caicedo this wouldn't be a problem. And I think that speaks to a, a thing that uh, Manchester United does. It's that it reaches out to the nearest thing that might solve their problem, yanks it, and pulls it in as if it's the only solution they need. Caicedo, signing Caicedo, would, it, it, it's like the next team they play. They're going to look at whatever midfielder they have and be like, wow, he'd be a good Manchester United player. Man, if we had Tyler Adams, we wouldn't have all this issue i agree i agree and i think that that really just uh it's it's a bad it's a bad sign and this uh, this feels like that segment of the podcast where we just rag on manchester united but uh caicedo is going to solve your issues guys that's that's all i'm saying did man united have any bright spots we'll just get them out of the way so we can talk about brighton (sighs) yeah i mean let's they, they definitely looked better in the second half. And the team, the structure of the team made a lot more sense, ironically enough, when they brought Ronaldo on. Because I was going to try and avoid that. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. I mean, just, yeah. just look at that performance in the second half. They, they had a much more coherent attack. They maintained pressure in Brighton's half. I think Brighton ultimately neutralized it well. They switched to a back four, um, and and that helped them uh, regain control. 
Um, Harry Maguire was pretty good today. Yeah. I, I wasn't super impressed with Maguire or Martinez, personally. I think, like, they've made the wrong signings there. They bought, they're buying center backs to fix the defense when the defensive problems are in the midfield. Uh, well, I mean, but he was, he was good, though. Like, Maguire was picking out people and, like, in picking their pockets when he needed to. And I think that, uh, the like, him and Martinez, and it was Martinez's first game as a Manchester United player. I mm-hmm. think to like I think expecting any player, bar like literally the household names, to immediately perform on a new team isn't realistic. So, um, to get confused a little bit as a center back pairing, it's not unheard of. So I'm not going to say that Maguire and Martinez today were a disaster. Yeah, I'm it was. Say yeah. it was probably not smart to just throw Martinez in and expect them to perform well. There's a there's a good video on Tifo right now where they went over this the the tactics for this match. There was one there's one moment where Martinez and Maguire were definitely way out of shape, but like yeah, I don't think they were the big problem. Both of the goals came off of Fred choosing to press when he should have been dropping back, and they that created a ton of space that he vacated in the center of the field. United had left a giant gaping hole of green space in the middle of their field, um, and you know, Brighton were exploiting that uh, quite a bit. So, you know, I think that sort of went away when they brought on a true center forward and they dropped Erickson back and he was playing, going from being like a false nine forward guy to a more of a, like a CDM in the course of 45 minutes. It's a very interesting move, but I mean, they looked better in that shape. So I thought that second half was better for them. They made better chances, um, but... I don't know, man. I mean, Grand Potter, I think, just tactically won the match today. Yeah, Brighton's shape looks just really great. I, I just don't, in terms of these passing networks, Manchester United just look out of whack. Oh, yeah. It's so strange. It's so strange. And I mean, it's all on the left side. Yeah, and- Marcus Rashford, by the average position, was the most advanced player. Yeah. Uh, this game and it was he was shoved entirely to the left and that's strange because I can't remember Marcus Rashford doing really anything this game and that's a problem um additionally uh Bruno Fernandez and him Fernandez Fernandez I don't know him uh him and Rashford basically occupied the same spot on the field uh Christian Eriksen deployed as a false nine and him dropping back to kind of create link up play did not work whatsoever. No. Uh, I think it might have been a good idea on paper, but playing Christian Eriksen as a striker in any sense has I don't think it happens at all. So oh. if the problems Ronaldo, why not try somebody like Ilanga there, Rashford? I'm, yeah, I think well Rashford has played there, yeah. right? This this isn't that's not an unheard of position. I think Ten Hag is trying to employ his own system, right, and that involves and he knows Christian Eriksen. Yeah. It's like he, that's a quantity he can deal with. So I suspect that might be why he's like, I've seen you do this before. I know you can do this. Please do this. And that's fine. Uh, This is just, so I'm going to try and do the thing that all the Man United fans aren't. And I'm going to try and take this as a learning opportunity for Ten Hag's system. And Ten Hag has figured out, okay, we can't just deploy a false nine like this because this team doesn't work, hasn't worked like that traditionally because last season it was all the Ronaldo show and now maybe we have to transition slowly away from that if whenever this transfer saga is over Ronaldo decides if he's staying or going I don't know 
Um, we know that Jaden Sancho was a big, big purchase. We kind of have to play him if we want to satisfy the board. And these are kind of like some of it's like I'm just giving examples of conditionals that he has to work with this season. Yeah. And so, so he has to figure out this team and then and then deploy it and maybe get top six. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. There's not much else to say in that other than uh, I'm still big ups on uh, Trissard. Yeah. I don't think it's time to bury Eric Ten Hag by any means. I think I saw things in here that looked pretty good. I think I saw things in the game that looked very poor. And some of that's going to come down to, yeah, like you said, just getting used to his system and, you know, just learning when to make the right decision, you know, with the, with triggering the press and trying to stop transitions and th- things like this. I think it's just going to take some time. And I think if they honestly had set up more conventionally in this game, they probably don't lose, I guess. Um, McTominay is a attacking midfielder didn't make any sense. No, that was really foolish. I thought McTominay was very poor. And Was it a red card? Yeah, yes. I think it was. Okay. Yeah, that was a that was a cleat up. That was that was like that was dirty. You can't get a shin full of cleat. Yeah, I think it was also a PK later you in do? the game. Okay. Oh yeah, I don't. Um, Welbeck, man, what an outlet! That guy was his touch was on point. They're kicking long balls to him. He's chasing him. Down. I think it's funny on point being like average, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Welbeck. I think that's. I think it speaks to Grand Potter's coaching for sure. Yeah, I think Brightner. I, ju- I, mean, I think everyone who like really pays attention to the Premier League just likes Brighton. All right, last game of the day. West Ham 0, Man City 2. Marquee signing Erling Holland is the talk of the town, the bell of the ball, going into the heavy-hitting game of the opening week. Does he bag goals or does he bag memes? West Ham head in off the back of a raging season from none other than Jared Bowen and at home to a sold-out crowd, the Magic might just be there and it wasn't because Erling Holland showed up. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And it's terrifying. I'm terrified. I'm it's like watching the Terminator on the field. Like everyone says that, but it really is. Like he moves so robotically, like, so <laughs> fast. Yeah, he just looks like a cyborg. It's yeah. Very he's such an uncanny looking guy. <laughs> so we had kind of the same conversation beginning of last year about a certain Chelsea player where you were like, Wow, I'm scared because yeah. he looks really strong. Yep. Total Is- overreaction. Yep, you're yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, no, he did he did assassinate Pablo Mari. Yeah, Pablo like, Pablo Mari, Mari died. The man formerly known as Pablo Mari. <laughs> we don't even know where he is anymore. Another plane of existence, yeah. We're talking about Lukaku, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, Lukaku started off golden boy of the Premier League. Everybody wanted him on their fantasy team. He scored two goals right off the bat, and everybody's like, yep, Chelsea, this is your year. You've got it. I mean, that that, that is true. That nosedived so, so quickly. You're... I... Honestly, I do agree with you here. I think it's very important to have a measured reaction, which is why I'm only going to um, slightly overreact. And only one of his goals was from actual play. He got a PK. That's true. But if Fabianski didn't do that, I mean, I'm sorry, Ariola didn't do that, then I think that was just a goal. That's probably true. Uh, I think I, I so I agree with you, Maddie. I I think that a lot of people are a lot of people are just going to draw exception to the rule because uh, Lukaku was coming off the back of like a Italy win, um, a Serie A win for Inter. Uh, 
Uh, Holland didn't do that, right? He was with Borussia Dortmund, and he didn't go to Chelsea. The, he went, He's going to Manchester City. And I think people just assume that whatever issues Holland arises, uh, Pep's going to coach it out of him, and it's just going to be inevitable. And, I mean, maybe, maybe we're wrong. I just... I am not going to look at this and think Liverpool still, we still have the same, it's still the same fight as it was last year because I think, um, you know, Darwin Nunes, Liverpool signing, Erling Holland signing. It's not the same degree of like, oof. And maybe I'm pessimistic. So are you saying Man City's got it? Week one, Man City has no, it. No, no, I don't think that. I think, I think that's dumb. But I, I'm just a little bit deflated because we tied to Fulham. So uh, it's, it's just, it's a matter of seeing how easily Holland just bypassed West Ham's back line. And he, that pass from Kevin De Bruyne through West Ham's back line, Erling Holland's ex- smooth acceleration as if they weren't even there. He doesn't even touch it. He, he lets the ball just kind of caress up, and then he just dinks it. It's one touch shot, mm-hmm. halfway up the field, and that to me was just like, wow. Kevin De Bruyne just has to do that, and it's a goal. That's it. It's not like West Ham's back line is you know, is relegation fodder. This is a top seven team. Yeah, but you were also worried because Fabianski went out in the 29th minute, and the backup keeper is not Fabianski. Yeah, he is not of that caliber. I think no one was. I don't think a keeper was saving that. Um, if I mean, sorry, I should. I, yes, I think if if Ariel was positioned a little differently, that was a save. But I think that the measure in which Erling Holland just created an opportunity that really is scary because the thing about facing Manchester City is that if you want to go a goal up, you have to open yourself up because you got to get in and you got to push forward. And once you push forward, Man City can. If they, once in their pressing, they decide to regain possession, all they have to do is pass up to Erling Holland. It's not a strategy. It's just an inevitability. Okay, but you can't base your entire attack off of one player who has a very large history of being injured. I, I mean, teams have done that. Um, but you're right. I think on average you can't. But it's not that Man City don't have one player. No, and, and, then, and that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But also... This is his first game. He is an unknown quantity against a lot of these Premier League players. That's true. That's I know. I playing I totally agree against with you. West Ham, who is a very known quantity by Premier League teams. They know how to defend against West Ham's system. They know West Ham. Liverpool is coming up against Fulham, a pretty new like a lot of new signings, a unknown quality quantity. Yeah. Very different situations, and yeah, they have Erling Holland, and he scored two great goals. Yeah, I, we'll wait and see then. You've talked me down. <laughs> I no think, longer on the ledge. Yeah, I mean, I think the injury history has definitely got to be a cause for some concern with Holland. He's a big dude, and having injuries, especially like lower body injuries, is probably doesn't pretend well for like a lot of you know just like I guess lasting health. Um, so we'll see how reliable he can be. It seems like City are trying to build something that makes Holland like the tip of the spear. And like, I mean, he had five shots in the game today. Uh, one of them was the penalty. So I mean, four from open play. But that's like, you know, we talk about that. But like that number of shots from players, that's elite, elite. And 
the finish on the second goal, especially it was incredible, was just like it was, it was so smooth, you know. And that's the thing that gets me about him is just like he's a natural goal scorer, and he's gotten his confidence so built up at Dortmund because he scored so many damn goals for them that like. Yeah, I mean, he steps in the Premier League. He's like, I've recognized this situation. I've been played in behind. I'm, you know, in this spot. I've shot from here a thousand times. And, I mean, this I know exactly how to bend this around the keeper, and he did it. Um, yeah. It was a really impressive finish. I think, though, what the thing about City that gets me right now is just that, like, what about Grealish and Foden? Did they scare you much this game? Um, well, I mean, I... I <sighs> I think Foden stock oh, his stock. I mean, like I think he's just kind of like gradually decreased in like hype, right? Yeah, and that's fine. He's nineteen, right? He's twenty-two. He's twenty-two. Yeah. Wow. He's Be- twenty-two. Between Grealish and Foden, they both had they combined for one shot. Yeah, I mean, but I think that wasn't their function this game, right? Yeah. Now we Man City no number nine. Man City now number nine. So I think that we have to kind of change our perception of what might be happening. So I think we can now devote some time to Man City on these podcasts because it's going to be a new understanding of how they operate. It's definitely different. I mean, I was yeah. seeing some some breakdowns on Twitter. There's some good ones out there. Um, this one, there's a guy uh, at um, OMVA, capital VA Sports, who did a good one with some screenshots that I thought was elucidating. Cancelo's role in this game was interesting because he... Kind of, he played more of the inverted fullback role with Walker and Rodri in the midfield, and Gundogan and KDB played higher up the pitch. And what they were doing was keeping really narrow and tight to Holland and um, keeping Grealish and Foden out wide. Grealish and Foden combined for four chances created. So I mean, that's definitely seems like that's just going to be more of their um, function in this system. And then, yeah, it's just going to be like whoever the eights are in Holland just terrorizing the channels on the inside. And I think that's probably going to be pretty good, quite honestly. Um, But that being said, West Ham, you know, for being a side that is definitely going to be contending for top six, if barring any kind of crazy, you know, injury history or whatever, they aren't starting the season on necessarily a super strong foot. Um, Aguirre, Diop, and Agbana are all injured. So Fabianski's now injured. Fab- Fabianski went out. Yeah. So it was it was a Zuma Cresswell. Kurt Zuma might be injured now. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt Zuma um, wasn't looking good. He was really like uh, he got pretty... smoked in the head. So obviously he's not well. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. that looked nasty. He so. dropped like a rock. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Craig Dawson. Where is he at? Not sure. Um, but injured. Injured. There you go. So yeah. I mean, that's just like. Not great to be rolling up to no. um, your first game against City and not having your strongest back line. So this, you know, there's there's yeah. some issues there that definitely benefited a guy like Holland. I mean, like obviously the truth is somewhere in between, right? He's yep. not going to like totally wash the league, but he's not going to be a total flop either. I just think a guy with Holland's ceiling, it's yep. going to be more towards the former. My theory for Manchester City is that Pep is Pep got annoyed with losing to Conte and decided he's just going to do the same shit, but with like the best counterattacking player in the world and so like he's probably just gonna like i mean losing twice to tottenham definitely got under his skin definitely yeah definitely he like stayed up yeah. for months yes yeah it's like in his evil lab 
His wife is like, honey, come back to bed. He's like, no, I'm brewing a potion to get to my boy. Conte <laughs> will feel my wrath. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'll bring a sandwich down in an hour. <laughs> yeah, like watch them like roll up to that first game against Tottenham and play like a, a you know, a 3-5-2, yeah, yeah. something they've never done before. There's going to be like music blasting from the bus and they're <laughs> all going to arrive like, um, like, Shades the, on. like the bots from The Matrix, suits, glasses. Yeah, yeah. Agent Smith, yeah. <laughs> Handshake it's, breaks. It's their gonna hands. be like, uh, like, uh, <laughs> like an anime show. Holland is just gonna be like standing there, and it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, and it's just gonna flash, and he's just gonna be sprinting upfield. Yep. He'll kick it once, and it'll just shatter the time space continuum. Well, that was all for the games. I have one quick shout out, and that's just Kiernan Dewsbury Hall's goal. Uh, against Brentford today. It was a thing of beauty, and I'm just happy to see that we can still do something. <laughs> and it was beautiful. It was really good. Nice. Yeah, that was a pretty sick goal. I feel like Castagna's header was also quite nice. Yes. And and uh, who who scored for Brentford? Josh De Silva's goal was, goal really, was really, really nice as well. Josh and I have Tony, yeah. Yeah. So, one game we didn't watch, but that's all right. We watched... Probably too many others. One too many. Yeah. Chelsea Everton. Sure. You guys were boring. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I shall do shout outs for the FPL League, the Plastics Podcast League. If you're not familiar, you can still join now. You'll just be a game week behind. But that's a okay. Our we'll only do our top five. Okay. Uh, in, Has it updated? It is yeah, fully updated. updated. All right. Yes. So we'll go from fifth to first. The Team in fifth place is no be juju be dad. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah, Dyron Gabola Gunte. Gabola Gunte, thank you on seventy three points, uh, employing both a captain Salah, Holland, and uh, Martinelli to spearhead all this. Wow, very good, smart. Uh, Martinelli could have had two goals, <laughs> fellas. Uh, and we have a two uh, two way place. Tie, geez, a two-way tie for third place. Uh, one team, Daddy, mm. uh, Amhad Awad uh, is there, and he's got a pretty good uh, lineup here. Um, Rolling with both Reese James and I Mark see Kukurea. they've also, uh, <laughs> he's got Paulo uh, Gazaniga for Fulham, so that's a weird signing. Love but uh, And then, obviously, our very own Blair found Jesus. Hey! Blair Lacrosse. And uh, that is on 74 points apiece for the two of them. Congrats. So, uh, and just ahead at 75 is my why, <laughs> Jennifer Carmuch. Carmuch? Carmuch, maybe. Carmuch. Carmuch. A Captain Holland, very smart. Uh, and a vice captain, Edward Mundy. So, uh, <laughs> respect. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, 75 points. And way, 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 way in first at 89 points is Ann Erickson. Uh, 89 points using a bench boost to bolster her lineup. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's quite an impressive uh, bold strategy and uh, captaining Sala, employing Holland, and she selected Kiernan Dewsbury Hall, so obviously making some decisions there. Um, My girl. Ryan Nori obviously being a bit of a hamper with negative one points this week, but <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, those are our top five. Uh, 89 points is the first place uh, lead. So Pretty currently, and we'll get updates next week uh, with game week two. Can you just tell me what plays I'm in? 
Maddie, you are out of the 22 teams. You are, um, I'm trying to find yes. Yes, indeed. You are 11th. Yes. You are, you are, I'm sorry. You have a three-way tie for 11th. Yeah. I was stuck at 14th all day. Okay. (laughs) Moving up. Moving up. All right. A quick uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes or no. Happy said. How are you guys feeling about your team so far? Uh, I'm like a hitchhiker, right? Thumb just kind of out. Neutral? Yeah. Fence sitter? Yeah. Okay. I, I like some of the players. I definitely should have uh, put Ramsdale, not Laurie. And what can you do? Yeah. 4-1, that feels like that feels bad a bit. Yeah, in fantasy. it hurts. It hurts. Jacob, how do you feel? Um, I feel like this is a trap either way, but I'm pretty middling. Uh, <laughs> probably, like, obviously should have beat Fulham. Yeah. So, yeah. but can I be... Can I be ungrateful? Probably not. So <laughs> it's all about Yay. the friends you made along the way. That's true. <laughs> Darwin, call me. He's going to be fun. He's going to be <laughs> fun to watch. I can't wait to see more of him. Do you guys have any closing thoughts? Uh, game week two coming up. Uh, be prepared, all ye. All ye, <laughs> be prepared. Premier League. It's going to be a ride. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I had, a lot, I had a blast watching this week. I woke up at 5 a.m. on Friday or Saturday because I was so excited to start watching soccer. Um, couldn't get back to sleep, really. So, yeah, I can't wait to watch another 150 games of Premier League soccer Woo! and some Champions League. Is that how much we watched last week? And something Roughly, like that. Yeah. yeah, and also World Cup soccer. So this season is going to be insane. Going to have to pick up some sort of stimulant habit other than coffee. I should stop talking before I incriminate myself any further. That was a joke. Um, thank you for listening, as always. <laughs> Happy one year, guys. Uh, happy to be here. This is the Plastics Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.